who uh, we're going to finish chapter two and start chapter three. So if we could have some volunteers to read uh, the passage that we're going to look at. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death and to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You should know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Hmm. Right. Um, so kind of summing up or, or trying to backtrack a little, so we've been trying to follow Paul's uh, train of thought concerning why uh, he did not make a second visit to Corinth as he said he would. Um, because of that, um, because he didn't visit, uh, some people criticized him, right, for being unreliable. Um, so we've been trying to understand the kind of the event timeline or, or, or flow of what happened. And this is, uh, kind of on the chat, I suggest that this is kind of uh, what what has kind of taken place, right? So we have the letter of the first Corinthians, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, where uh, Paul begins to uh, address uh, a number of issues that the Corinthians have, uh, whether it's uh, kind of related to unity, related to spiritual gifts related to the resurrection, um, related to a number of things. And uh, in it, uh, there are, are several areas in which he is actually, um, uh, he rebukes them for uh, some of the situations that are persisting uh, there, right? And in it, he says that he's going to visit them. And he does, right? He does make a first visit to Corinth. And during that time, it seems like it, it, things um, don't quite resolve, actually. And um, there's a suggestion that um, things get uh, worse. I don't know if it's a new problem or it's one of the existing problems, like, for example, 1 Corinthians 5, which talked about a man who um, had relations with his stepmother, right? Uh, 
whatever the case, when Paul departs, uh, it's it's with a heavy heart, and um, um, it's uh, we we looked at it last uh, time. Um, Paul said it was painful, right, and that. Uh, there was grief um, kind of given and shared. Uh, and so um, there is indications that there's a 1.5 <laughs> Corinthians, right? Uh, there's, a, there's references to another letter that Paul wrote, and we don't have uh, an official copy of it. Uh, there's been no manuscripts to that effect, but uh, it is referenced or alluded to uh, in 2 Corinthians Um and so instead of visiting them again, Paul sends a, a pretty direct and challenging letter uh, to them, right? And that is um, he doesn't know what the response to that 1.5 Corinthians letter um, is. Uh, he doesn't know what the Corinthian, Corinthians are really, how they took it. Um, what they thought of Paul uh, had was their um, uh, spiritual progress being made, a, a host of questions, right? Um, and that's uh, what I think Paul, the, the commentators say that Paul is kind of not anxious, but he's eager uh, to hear uh, what happened as a result of this middle letter, this 1.5 Corinthians. So um, I think that's what he's referencing in the passage that we read today, that uh, Paul uh, was in Troas and he was doing good work there, right? God was multiplying the gospel uh, outreach. Um, but Paul's mind, Paul's heart was back with the Corinthians, and his hope and desire and even plan was uh, to find Titus, right? Titus, who had been either dispatched or was already amongst the Corinthians, but um, he would have news. He would have firsthand, um, like he'd be able to narrate or report to Paul how the Corinthians received one, the 1.5 letter, right? So Paul is very anxious uh, and, and concerned, burdened with what's going on in Corinth and um, how they are spiritually reacting. And so he's hoping for an update from Titus, but Titus is nowhere to be found, right? At least in Troas. And uh, so Paul has to make a decision, right? He has to decide um, should he stay in Troas or should he proceed to Macedonia uh, as was uh, expected? Right. So Paul's giving us uh, kind of a, a tidbit, a, a little detail there of his mindset, right? Not having known how the Corinthians reacted, um, he needed to go to his next destination but he wasn't sure. And so in that state of kind of uncertainty, that state of kind of not really being at peace, um, he talks about uh, 
what kind of transpired next, right, uh, for him. Um, and that is that he decided that he would depart Troas and go to Macedonia, right? Trusting, I guess, that uh, God was doing God's work and that when God wanted to reveal where the Corinthians were, um, God would do so, right? Whether through Titus or through other means. Um, actually, in chapter 7, you know, Paul revisits this and uh, says that he actually ran into Titus or met Titus and Titus reported that the Corinthians responded well, right? They uh, had a, uh, for the most part, um, they dealt with the, um, the sinful element. There was a repentance that occurred amongst the people, not only, I think the ones that were uh, offensive to, you know, they were, they were sinning, but also relationally, right? Um, how they kind of mit, react, um, how they worked it out amongst themselves, um, how they, uh, again, how they viewed Paul. Um, although there were some detractors still, right? Apparently, that's why Paul is talking about why um, he he has to kind of defend why he didn't come a second time. Uh, the, the real intent of the 1.5 letter uh, seems to have done its work, right? And so Paul uh, will, uh, when we get to chapter seven, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it again. Uh, but in between chapter two and chapter seven, um, um, we'll find uh, Paul kind of undertaking kind of uh, more explanation of kind of what um, uh, it means to be a, a minister of the new covenant and what the new covenant itself is, right? So I guess Paul thinks that the Corinthians defective understanding of, of kind of the gospel, some of the key fundamental points of the gospel is contributing to their inability to kind of live it out and be faithful to it, to live a life worthy of that new covenant, but also uh, it impacts um, their relational connections, meaning that because they have some misunderstanding of the new covenant, um, that translates to misunderstanding Paul as a agent of the new covenant, or as he calls himself, a minister of the new covenant. So it's kind of a pretty long digression, right, from here, the end of chapter two, all the way to chapter seven, when Paul goes back to talking about um, you know, some of the, 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 the historical timeline of it. Uh, but I think as we go through it, there's a lot of kind of rich understanding and, and kind of explanation that Paul gives. So uh, I, I, I'm very thankful for chapters three through five or chapter three through six that is given there. So um, uh, just to finish out the post, the, the chat post that I made. So second Corinthians then is... Um, Paul's final uh, uh, kind of a letter or epistle uh, to, to the Corinthians where he explains um, kind of the things that occur. Um, so um, I said that uh, in 13, right, Paul is kind of confessing or he's giving, uh, he, he's sharing that it was really hard to make this decision, right, to um, not find um, 
Titus, right? Not knowing um, what had happened and yet, um, I guess, trusting God that um, he should proceed on to the next ministry or the next mission uh, assignment. And I just want to pause there because uh, I think that's, that could be a point of application for us. Um, you know, sometimes we find ourselves, you know, and it could be in, in, in kind of a number of different aspects of our lives. Like it could be like Paul here, um, kind of a, a relational situation, or it could be a, a ministerial kind of context. Uh, it may be um, something related to like for us professionally, or uh, it, it just, it, there's, there's a lot of uh, kind of occasions, I think, where uh, something um, doesn't quite get hashed out or hammered out, ironed out, right? But there's something uh, unresolved, something lingering. And maybe we've done a big effort. We've tried. We've extended ourselves. We've proposed. We've, we've, we've met. We've, you know, we've, we've analyzed. Uh, you know, we've tried to come up with a plan. Uh, for you know any sort of, of these kind of, of scenarios um, but you know something is not finished right somehow God's timing doesn't quite uh, get accomplished and, and in that sense of like what should I do uh, I think that that's not too unfamiliar right for us. sometimes it's not a huge deal right uh, for Paul, it was, but sometimes it is like, yeah, and all. So um, I guess uh, just thinking that of how Paul, um, even though maybe against his preference that, you know, he hear he's, you know, he hears what Titus has to say and um, he's, you know, kind of feeling at peace uh, about Corinth. Um, that's what Paul desires, but God doesn't grant it to him. Right? But he still takes that step of faith. He still, he doesn't, like, he doesn't lose, right, the call that God placed on his life, right? Even though it was difficult or it was challenging, uh, Paul stays true to the call that God puts on him, right? He doesn't like break, you know, shut down or, or have, however we want, we want to say it. He, he perseveres, right? And he goes to the, I think he takes that step of faith to go to Macedonia, um, maybe continuing to pray and hold on to, you know, trusting that God would take care of that. And I think that's what he's reporting in verses 14, and following, right? Um, because, or as he takes this step, uh, God gives him, I think, uh, not only a great sense of peace, but uh, like uh, an encouragement, uh, a real uh, conviction that um, even though there are loose ends, even though there are things that, you know, are, are non ideal. Uh, God is really uh, confirming for him that 
uh, if he acts in faith, if he acts in obedience, if he acts in trust, um, that there is this kind of triumphant, this kind of uh, strength, right? this kind of conviction um, that he is doing the right thing. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that um, you know, we can kind of apply a formula here. Right. I don't want someone to say, oh, I'm in between a decision and the Bible study is telling me that um, I should I should act. Right? I always am wary uh, of that. So I'm not saying act or don't act. What I'm saying is um, I think the reality of difficult, uh, sometimes unresolved situations need not be the occasion for us to shut down or to lose our faith or to stumble, right? That somehow we live in the tension of things not fully resolved and yet uh, us being called to be faithful, to, to keep at it, right? to, uh, yeah, serve God with uh, all of our, heart, mind, uh, soul, and strength, right? Don't, uh, let's not be, uh, whatever, distraught or uh, defeated, derailed um, by things that uh, are hard to work through, right? Uh, if, if, if indeed God is sovereign and he, we are, you know, beholden to him and obedient, um, you know, God knows what's going to happen. Uh, God is in charge. And so our, our, our job is, is to be faithful. Our job is to really um, uh, carry out, execute, discharge um, the things that, you know, God has us do. Even if, you know, there is a shadow or a cloud, not a shadow, there's a cloud overhead, even though that you know we are kind of a little bit uh, bruised up um, in the process uh, I think the example that Paul gives here is um, this kind of, of perseverance this kind of uh, seeking God right um, it, it, I mean like I said it could go the other way maybe it's the hardest thing for Paul to do is to stay right and but if he, you know that was what he, it meant for him to persevere, then, you know, so it's not the particular goal uh, or, or, you know, that, that, that I'm talking about, I'm talking about that um, it's okay to uh, not feel like everything is perfect. Everything is great. Everything is like, there's no, no problems. No, I think in the midst of problems, Right? in the midst of challenges, in the midst of, you know, things being kind of not that uh, clean cut or clear cut, right? Uh, God is still at work and he wants us to be with him, right, in that work. So, so Paul has to, in faith, set aside this problem. He, he's done his best, you know, uh, I think that's a good example. Sometimes we, there's more for us to do to, you know, apply ourselves to this and, and there's more, we are not finished in, in the, in, 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 in the, um, 
um, it, it, on our end to try to make this work or to try to you know resolve it or to, to, to make progress or to finalize it. So if that's the case, you know that's probably you know where we should put our attention. But even after that happens, um, it's okay for us to um, you know um, still uh, persevere and pursue the next steps that God has and wait on him, right? Um, and experience uh, him answering in the way that he wants to answer when uh, he wants to uh, answer it, right? And so uh, here Paul um, says to them that as he went on to Macedonia, he experienced, um, you know, God's encouragement and support and um, uh, fruitfulness, right? Uh, and he goes into this uh, interesting kind of uh, explanation or the analogy he gives is a kind of what they would, the most scholars call it, they refer to it as a victory parade. So uh, in the Greco-Roman times, when there was a military victory or some sort of honoring, uh, there was a great, it was usually celebrated in, in, in the cities or, or in the capital there um, with a lot of a fanfare, right? Where um, if it was a, a battle, a great, great uh, a battle that led to, um, you know, capturing the enemy, um, that uh, the honored military leaders or general, whomever, uh, they would uh, be um, granted a, vic a public victory procession. Um, and, and this would be, you know, to honor them, but also to, to kind of show their power, the imperial, like Rome, uh, for example. So in that procession, usually you had the, um, the cap captives, right? those who were defeated. Right? And, and they were kind of marched before the, the victorious people, right? And one of the things that they did in these uh, processions was to burn incense, right? And so it was a very kind of, uh, <laughs> very strong olfactory experience as well as kind of, you know, a lot of things to see and hear, right? It was very, uh, you know, the sensory kind of impact was great. And so what Paul's saying here is that um, just as it, 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 when there's a victory a military parade, and the, the smells and the, the, it'll say the incense that's burned, it has this kind of powerful and pervasive effect on people. So we, as God's soldiers or as uh, those that um, are um, honored by God, if you want to say it that way, or um, certainly utilized by God, um, there is a kind of a an aroma of of Christians of 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 the servants of God that have 
an equal, if not greater, kind of sensory impact. And the smell um, of, of the Christian servant, the Christian message, um, is just as kind of prominent and, uh, again, powerful and, and even symbolic as what he's referring to in, uh, in this military uh, parade. So the incense, right, uh, apparently, right, was considered to be like um, enjoyable and sweet, right, even. Um, it was a reminder to the, the, victor, vi the victorious nation, yeah, of their power and of their triumph and of how amazing their military was. So it was, um, as uh, Paul says in 15, the fragrance of life, right? It reinforced, right? Maybe it justified their sense of, of military conquest. But if you were on the winning side and you smell this, right? It's, it it, it in, enlivens you, it, right? it excites you. But if you smelled this and you were, you know, a captive, if you were the defeated side, right, what this fragrance reminded you of or what it, you know, meant for you, symbolized for you is that, yeah, you lost. Not only did you lose, but that you are being paraded around, you're being uh, stigmatized and, and, and shown that you've been flaunted as spoils, right? And often, right, it would lead to execution you know, enough times. So that smell would be the reminder that death is imminent, right? And that's what Paul says here, right? Uh, 16 to the one, we are the smell of death, to the other, the fragrance of life. Right? So the same incense, depending on you, the smeller, <laughs> the person who's smelling, um, if, you, if you smell it as victory, you're it is positive if you smell it as a stench right uh, because it represents humiliation and, and possible death um, so depending on who you are that incense impacts you and paul's saying the same thing when the christian servant when the minister of the new covenant when we serve christ preach his message, live out his values, right? proclaim to the world that we are followers of Christ, depending on how that person reacts to that smell, to, that, um, to who Christ is, um, there, there's going to be um, you know, a polar opposite kind of reactions. Right? Those who put their faith in the message of Christ, in the message that we give, right, that we represent, that we are ambassadors for, it becomes uh, a sweet fragrance, uh, perfume, whatever, whatever nice smell, maybe flowers or something, something very positive. But to those who reject, those who resist, right, those who um, are spiritually dead and continue to go that way, um, this aroma of the Christian, the aroma of the gospel is deadly, right? it's, it's hateful, it's noxious. So uh, 
you know, Paul experiences um, this critical and very powerful um, blessing, right? That as he turns from the world of worries related to the Corinthians and focuses on God's mission for him, his next mission for him, right? God, I think, um, convicts him of, of this awesome privilege, this just amazing blessing that Paul and others like him can effectuate this kind of life and death, that kind of choice. Yeah, so I guess, you know, instead of Paul being down on himself and feeling like, man, I don't get any, and this, 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 um, this thing just go, won't go away. The Corinthians, um, you know, um, crisis or whatever is not resolving itself. Instead of focusing on that and, um, you know, getting down on himself and, and discouraged, which, you know, is probably understandable, right? As he um, turns to God and looks to God to uh, for the next um, uh, mission, uh, turns to God for the, uh, to reinforce the call, then God um, opens his eyes to how indeed um, the amazing task that um, he's given him and people like him and, and us, right, that he um, we don't control right uh, life and death, but our message does. We're not responsible for, you know, making people believe one way or another, or we're, we're not responsible for whether they believe they or don't believe. But we are responsible for faithfully uh, communicating, faithfully representing, right? faithfully living out uh, what that uh, gospel uh, message is, right? And, you know, it, it, it's actually a task beyond him, right? Look at what he says in the end of 16. And who is equal to such a task? It's no small feat. It, this is like something that God has to do, right? But the rest of like thing three, four, and five, I think you'll see that the fact that God is using people like us, that's the mind-boggling thing of this all. So even if... There are a number of Corinthian kind of, you know, uh, struggles that, that we have, you know, in our lives. Um, don't lose heart. Don't lose steam. Don't lose that excitement and that enthusiasm and that uh, verve, right, to be um yeah, ambassadors of the gospel to be ministers of the new covenant because it's truly um, a, a glorious and uh, powerful and purposeful and transformative call and blessing in life that you know God has really um, provided for us. Right? So. Um, Instead of, uh, so to, to rise to the level of this kind of calling, right, is I think what uh, Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do, uh, and, and he's speaking testimonially of himself, right? Um, and so 
because he's established the glory, gloriousness of this responsibility and this call, he contrasts that in verse 17 and following with uh, people that aren't, I think, seeing it in the right way, right? Um, and these people and commentators will say these are his opponents, right? These are his detractors. These are the people that some of the Corinthians are comparing Paul to. Um, they're, they don't, they are not certainly as fruitful uh, and their methodology, the means by which they do their ministry is um, problematic and, and inferior, right? Um, and, and we can go through that um, in just a second. Dave has a hand up. Yeah, there's a kind of, a, I guess, an imagery question or just how we read the text question I'd like to bring up. And, um, and part of it, I guess, has to do with the way it's worded in NIV. But it's the, you know, you, you talked about the, you know, leading us in the triumphal procession in Christ, right? That's the, the imagery is the Roman parade after the triumph where the general basically leads his army into the city and basically parades so the entire city can see, you know, just the splendor of the victory. And he's dragging behind the booty and the captives of the places that he's conquered, right? That's the central imagery of that verse, right? So one thing that I couldn't quite follow is what is our role in that one? And as I'm reading the NIV, it added specific words that says as captives in there, right? And it's not actually those words were added on, maybe to clarify the verbiage, I'm not sure. I'm reading the other versions. That particular addition was not there. It just says, you know, we are leading us in triumph in Christ, right? And kind of just me reading kind of the other readings, my sense is that, you know, we are following Christ as part of his army, right? Kind of Christ is, you know, parading in victory and we are you know part of his army but then I'm, I'm kind of confused maybe you know it's that's not the meaning of the greek right maybe actually it is christ parading us as people that he's captured you know as captives in this you know in, in this military parade and that kind of gives me kind of i'm not quite sure how to read the rest of the passage based on that central image. And I'm asking for clarification on that particular point. I don't know if that's a, my question is clear. It, let me ask you, uh, yeah. where did you say captives or is that the kind of the assumption? Uh, I mean, Joe read that version and it's in the NIV version. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and it, it specifically spells out. Um, Can you read I, that passage? The, right, the, so, um, so it's, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma. Joe read that version, right? I, I heard that, right? Joe, you read that version, right? And I don't see that in this particular version that was listed, right? And I don't see it in, you know, other versions like ESV and so forth. And so that gives me kind of a, kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, a cute kind of, not sure how to read this text right and I, the version that I, I i i had put on the chat was um um uh, 84 84 so i guess 84. 
2011, right, has, um, uh, what should we call it? Has it, uh, captives, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll take a, you can, you, you can I mean, so it, let me it take kind a of, quick, let me take a quick look at the uh, interlinear. Keep 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 going though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, actually, I when I was reading the text on my own before, just reading the text, it's the imagery I put myself in as well. Christ is leading his army, right, in victory, right, and we are part of his army that walks through with him because he's, you know, our leader. He's our commander, right. But you know, those couple words in there changes the whole imagery, how I'm supposed to read this particular text. And, um, you know, it also kind of changes how you read the rest because, you know, if you're a captive, you know, from kind of a military parade, right? You are seen as stench of death because you're the one, like you said, you're the one that's gonna be executed, right? If you're one of the captives, right? and so it's different kind of versus if you're like, say, a soldier or a military officer in the parade, right? The way you are a stench of death is different to whoever's looking, right? Because you're coming to a different country and, you know, the countries that resist are basically smelling you as death and the countries that accept are smelling you as the Rome of Christ, right? And so that affects how I read this entire passage. And I guess that's why I want a clarification on this. I mean, I, I didn't see that because I only stayed within the NIV 84 text. Okay. When I, when I read the, the interlinear, just a quick perusal of that is, it doesn't have captives. It's just as the 84 and the ESV and others say, just it, it, that we are in his triumphant procession. So okay. I don't know if the 84, I mean, the 2011 had whatever the, the, i don't really understand the the, the reasons they, they made that addition but uh, yeah i think you're right it, it 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 does confuse it if we are the captives because right yeah, that's not an enjoyable <laughs> thing to be unless right. i don't know maybe they're saying that you know once we're a captive of christ that's a it's a positive image like you know because that means we submit to him and stuff like that right but, yeah i i think also like looking at it you know there, there's also some potential confusion in when it says verse 15 for we are to god the aroma of christ so um right so the, the smell is predominantly to god not to the people but the rest of the pageants at least it sounds like it's to the other people that yeah. they're receiving yeah. the aroma so you know he's using a slightly parallel imagery that you know it's hard to right read properly yeah, I, I think that, yeah, the analogy is not as precise as maybe we would like it uh, to be. Um, um, I, I guess it could be both, right? The, the positive smell that, um, that we give, right, um, to those who are, uh, to God. It could be to God and to those who are being saved, right? I think we might be able to expand that, whereas the, the smell of death is to those who are perishing or, or you know, refusing. I mean, the, that one, I just read it as we smell of Christ, right? We emit aromas of Christ. Okay. And so to God, he will smell Christ a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. But to men, right, they will smell of Christ differently, depending on where they're coming from. That, that part, I can read okay. 
right? But, but guess, amongst the men, there is a, a, a sweetness or a stench. Right, exactly. Because they will smell Christ differently. Right? Yes. To those who are perishing, they smell Christ as death. Right. Thank you. Okay, well, okay. Helpful, helpful no. question. Um, I don't know if we want to continue this conversation, but um, even though the words captives as captives were not in the NIV 84, I have heard messages in the past where it relates to the um, description is that it's about us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And the um, explanation, as I remember, was that Christ came and conquered sin and um, those that were captive in sin before, which is us, um, are now part of that triumphal procession, which I guess the audience at that time understood what that meant. So if that was the case in verse 15, uh, we are a pleasing aroma to God because of Christ. And then to those in the audience who are um, listening to this or watching the quote unquote captives in the triumphal procession, depending on where they stand, we would be a stench or a pleasing or the aroma of life. That's how I remember, like, even though it was not written in the NIV 84, I have heard it before using that uh, terminology. I don't know if that's helpful, but. Thanks, Joe. I, I personally have not, uh, yeah, since I've just, I kind of stick to the 84. I don't really jump around to different versions, uh, just the Greek if necessary. The captives uh, discussion, actually, I find, in Ephesians, where you know they talk about gifts, right? Um, that Jesus gave, and it talks about captives in a positive sense. That um, you know we are his captives. But um, okay, thank you for that. Um, any other comments? Uh, let's not belabor that aspect. But anything else about uh, what we talked about? Paul's um, struggle and how he overcame it and then kind of the transitions that he's making uh, to the, I guess, the encouragement that we, that he experienced by uh, maintaining his faithfulness to God. Okay, we can maybe keep going a little bit. Um, but um, so what I'm suggesting is that as Paul sees the nobility and, and, and the beauty of, of of the uh, responsibility that God's given him that he's consistent, not only here in other places where the methods that he uses, the, uh, the, um, the gospel that he preaches, he's very conscientious. He's very, um, he, he, you know, the, 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 the messenger, right. Is one way to say it is it's not as important as the message, but the messenger can't should not detract, right? The messenger should not um, distort, um, confuse the message, right? And I think he's saying in verse seventeen that that is what these peddlers of of the word of God. So 
you know, teaching and, and, and speaking with rhetorical flourish and, and kind of even like uh, gaining money uh, through it apparently was uh, kind of big in those times. And so uh, Paul's contrasting himself with those guys who will use, you know, as a worldly means or kind of to um, the, the idea of a pedal, the, uh, the word of God for profit apparently is uh, was related to wine making. So when when uh, wine is diluted, right, um, then that that's a f- kind of a fraudulent way to to, to kind of you know um, hawk uh, your wine or or to, to to sell it. And Paul is saying that hey, you uh, uh, these other teachers, some of them are, are doing just that, right? They are either kind of diluting the gospel or they are uh, not approaching it with the kind of dignity and the kind of respect and awe that I think Paul is, is trying to uh, communicate. Right. And that continues on into chapter three, right. Where Paul says that um, these guys are, are the, the ministry that they have is more superficial. Right. And, and the way that he does it is to take another analogy about uh, letters of recommendation. So as now, uh, letters of recommendation are important, right? Where if you're like doing a business in another city, you would want to find someone who knows some of the merchants in the city that you're going to. And you want them to say, you want them to write a letter for you that vouches for your integrity, for your, you know, your business, uh, whatever, professionalism. And, And that was important in kind of establishing your credibility, and, and it'll help, right? And so uh, even within the church, that was important. Paul talks about, you know, sending some letters of recommendation himself, right? And that was, I think, big, apparently big uh, amongst these other teachers, right? They, the, the better the recommendation, um, the better whatever authority they had, et cetera. So, you know, that's understandable. But apparently Paul didn't use that as for himself, especially with respect to the Corinthians. And that became a, a source of, again, criticism or questioning. Uh, Paul doesn't do what others do. He must not be as good as them, right? He doesn't talk like them. He does. So because of Paul's, you know, integrity or his uh, esteem of the gospel message, he will not do, he will not, like, I guess, uh, stoop uh, to using those, those kind of means. Not that recommendation letters were bad uh, per se, but in Paul's instance, it actually, uh, it made no sense, I think is what he's saying, right? He's saying, look, we need recommendation letters for people that don't know each other, right? But of all the relationships there are in in Christendom at the time, the one relationship that is the clearest or the uh, you know the one that it really it doesn't uh, the last uh, context in which a letter of recommendation is necessary is paul and the corinthians right because paul was the founder paul was the spiritual father of the church paul had poured himself out uh, to the corinthians right and he was still locking horns with them he was he didn't write them off. He didn't, you know, condemn them. Uh, you know, he was, you know, suffering and and, and and just, you know, kind of in the trenches with them because he loved them and he cared for them. And, and they, you know, 
frankly put, they, they owe their spiritual existence to him, right? So Paul is saying that his methodology, his approach to being a minister of the new covenant is based on flesh and, is, is based on, uh, you know, real life flesh and blood, yeah, real human interactions, real conflict, real reconciliation. Paul says, you know, we have something, you know, it's not easy, it's not perfect, but it's, it's something that um, is, is true, it's real. And uh, God has, um, through his spirit, made it known that this is something that is um, kind of whatever, trustworthy or, or credible, right? Uh, and the Corinthians are questioning that, and, and they are preferring, um, you know, these other other methods, these more, like, I, I, I use the word superficial, um, or kind of, um, I don't know, more formal kind of, uh, uh, of techniques, right? So, uh, and so Paul is kind of really digging into it and saying that, you know, God himself, right? He, that's not the way God works. He doesn't use, um, right, this kind of, fading ink um, in fact god moved from the 10 commandments that were on the tablets of stone to the writing of the law in human hearts um, that was a promise through the spirit that you know god says i think in ezekiel and uh, jeremiah right so paul is saying you you guys are emphasizing or valuing the wrong kinds of things right uh, and that is what is, again, um, that's why they are misunderstanding, you know, what ministry really should be like and what a minister, a servant of God, uh, should really uh, uh, be like, right? And so he's going to, uh, you know, delve into this kind of, again, the substance of the new covenant. And he's going to be talking about um, kind of glory and and, and tablets of stone and, and human hearts again, you know, or more, even more in the upcoming um, verses, right? Uh, and, and just kind of to close in terms of application, right? In terms of application, I think this is, uh, you know, something to examine both as a person who, like Paul, does the writing. Right, is um, someone who's either impacted people or served people, loved people. So the question in that that angle would be, uh, who, uh, who is it? Who or whom? <laughs> who have you written? Uh, whose hearts have you written? Right? Are there? tangible, identifiable, you know, living, breathing souls that you've really loved and really cared for, really ministered to, like, like Paul, right? Like Paul, uh, whether more successfully or less, less successfully, more fruitfully, less fruitfully. But is there somebody right, that a, a real child of God, a real person that uh, you have you know, given uh, yourself for to really help them grow uh, in the gospel, right? Paul had plenty. Paul had so many 
who um, he he served, right? And, and like I said, that he was duking it out with because he never, um, he was so, he would never give up on them. Right? He would be, um, he was uh, committed to, to the very end. And so um, their lives, their you know, spiritual progress, is due in part to you, to me. We've prayed for them. We've um, encouraged them. We've protected them. We've challenged them. We've been there for them. Um, we've carried them. Who are those people? Um, and I guess an extension of that is when they, if they are like the Corinthians and they're not appreciative or grateful, or do you still, you know, per pursue them and give yourself to them? That it's not a ministry of convenience or a ministry of reciprocation. It's really a, a, a ministry of the new covenant. It's, it's how Jesus or Paul right, would so that's the first applicational angle that the other application angle is to reflect on who has done that to us whose names whose autographs whose signatures whose fingerprints are on our own hearts right because i'm convinced that although you know the holy spirit you know can minister to us directly and does uh, many times god sends people our way God sends those who uh, love us, who um, are committed to us, and we would not be able to um, be where we are. We would not have what we have unless those people were there, unless they uh, gave you know a little bit or a lot of bit of themselves uh, to us, right? If the only person that's written on your heart is your yourself, and I think that we're missing uh, some significant, important, substantive aspects of kind of gospel relations that I think God designed and intended. Right, even during the pandemic, and I hope that there is that kind of. Uh, relational desire, that kind of ministerial heart, that you know, there are those that you are writing on. Maybe, <laughs> you know, your handwriting is really ugly, or, you know, it's, you're, spell, you're spelling things wrong, but at least you're trying. <laughs> and, and there, are, you are acknowledging and appreciating and thanking and listening to those who God has sent to write on your heart and is our, 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 on our hearts and are faithfully doing it. You know, maybe they, they, they aren't that nice. Right? Maybe what they've written is pretty harsh at times. But like Paul, right, they, I think, deserve the recognition and the uh, kind of relationship and mutual 
whatever response uh, and receptivity that is uh, appropriate. Right, that's it for tonight for uh, for what I wanted to kind of try to speak to the spray. Father, thank you for this, um, you know, the snapshot of Paul's heart and, and kind of his, his kind of process of, of what he was thinking and what he did and, and what that means and, 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 and then how that relates to the, the Corinthians. Um, we just pray that um, this is not maybe just an interesting uh, anecdote in, in Paul's life, but um, that the, the kind of the quality of it and the, um, uh, the depth of it can, can translate in, into our own um, because um, you've called us to be like Paul, who's being like Jesus. And you have sent people like Paul uh, to us. And uh, even as we live our spiritual lives, even as we live our Christian community lives, it's so easy to be distanced and standoffish and safe and informal and just um, more superficial than, 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 than deep or real. Um, but I don't think you would have it that way. I, I don't think the... The, the glory of the gospel, the, the triumph from procession it is meant to just be um, in our minds or, or, or very theoretical. It's meant to be messy and it's meant to be uh, visceral. It's meant to be real. And I pray that the uh, at least uh, the brothers and sisters of Connect and, and Compass can be um, moving towards that uh, Desiring that more, always praying about it more, being those uh, ministers more and more. Thank you for tonight, and we ask that you watch over the fellowship that we continue to share. In Jesus' name, Amen.